Hello, everybody. Welcome to No Filler with Joe Miller. I'm joined here today by a good friend of mine, Jaron Hicks. We're about halfway through the season, so this show and next show are going to focus on reviewing the season so far and maybe make a few predictions about award season and the playoffs. But yeah, Jaron, it's good having you on. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Joe. Uh, I'm always ready to talk about the NBA. At a halfway point is always when expectations start to get crushed. I feel like I don't know anything about basketball, but this season feels like I can kind of see a lot of these things coming, I guess. What do you mean by that? You mean like in terms of like the awards or like in terms of the title picture? Like Like both, maybe. (laughs) Like both, maybe. That's interesting. It's weird that we're like 30-something games into the season and we're at the halfway point. It feels really early this year, and I guess it is just because we have the shortened season, but... It's just crazy to think we're halfway through at this point. Playoffs are going to be here any second. Especially, like, considering the new early start date and stuff going on the 22nd. Anytime we have a weird season like that, it always gets kind of awkward. Yeah, so first thing I want to talk about in regards to this season as we're getting to the halfway point is the MVP award. So it's raced. It's been very exciting. I have a feeling we're going to have similar top threes (laughs) when we get to our MVP ballots. But I want to start out broadly how do you view the MVP award and what type of criteria do you usually look at? Like when you're evaluating who's the MVP of the regular season? So like the MVP award is, is like, you know, the, the big thing of each NBA season, right? right. Like the big thing. This is the guy who wins. This is the guy that was really getting everything done. The problem with the MVP award is that it's incredibly inconsistent. <laughs> like, you know, it sometimes will be like, Oh, this person won the award because they had like, their most base stats of everybody in the right or like this guy was the best player on the most winningest team exactly. in the league or this guy was just had such strange and incredible statistics throughout the year that like there's no way that we couldn't give it to him and this metric like it's never the same it it completely changes based on the storyline i guess and right. i hate to say that but like the storyline that the media is kind of figuring out and working with each season so I, when I when I think about who I want to be the MVP, I, I kind of think about it with like a grain of salt. Because anybody, any of the candidates that are normally introduced, they have legitimately just as much of a case to be the MVP as any other person. And it's more like thinking, you know, what are the media going to decide on this? Like, what do they think? No, no, that's really interesting because I always think about that 2017 MVP case with Russell Westbrook, with right. James Harden and Kawhi Leonard. That was a very tight voting year. But the criteria there was... Russell Westbrook broke the triple-double record. Uh Kevin Durant left him. But in my opinion, James Harden was had a better season. He did. Led the Rockets to the third seed in the Western Conference with just as bad of a team. Like, Ryan Anderson might have been their third best player. (laughs) (laughs) Like, all respect to Ryan Anderson, but come on. Yeah, like, Ryan Anderson the next season was unplayable. Like, that guy couldn't play any type of defense. He was just there to space the floor for that offense to function. Uh And Russell Westbrook got it because he got that perfect 10 rebound. <laughs> right, yeah. Going into the, like, the last game of the season, making sure that he had everything right to fulfill that little destiny. And again, like not to take anything away from Russell Westbrook, an amazing player, an amazing season, really cool. But, you know, again, like we're talking about what does it really mean when you win the MVP? Like, were you really the best player of that season? I don't really think so. And so when I try and predict, like, who's going to be the MVP compared to who, who is my MVP of the season, I feel, I feel a little lost in conversation, I guess. No, I, I definitely get that. Because, like, 
I think everyone has a similar top three, which let, let's just say it. It's LeBron, it's uh-huh. Nikola Jokic, and Joel Embiid, yep. I think, are everyone's top three at the moment. Yep. And I, I see a few a few people who I think will get a lot of fourth and fifth place votes, but I think anyone outside of that top three is not going to have a chance at this point. No. No, like, and, you know, maybe there'd be like some amazing run from a player like, I don't know, if, if they can manage in the second half of the season. It, it's possible. I've seen it done before. But, like, again, because of the storylines that are normally created throughout a season, once you hit the halfway point, the, 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 like, the, the tread is set. And we know the direction we're walking in. These are the guys that we're taking a look at. So j- just to get into, like, the broad list of guys, I was, writing, I was brainstorming who I think would have a case of getting, like, fourth, fifth place votes. And I got a list of about 10 or 11 guys in total, right. including, obviously, LeBron, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic. I think the next year of guys is Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, and Giannis. Right. And then I could see guys like Chris Paul, Luka, or even Rudy Gobert, who's obviously a defensive player of the year front runner, mm-hmm. and the Jazz had the best record in the NBA. I could see Rudy getting some votes maybe. Do you see anyone besides those 11 names getting a vote, or do you think I'm expanding that list a little too far? <laughs> like, I don't know if I'd say that you're expanding the list too far, especially now that, you know, people consider the league that we're entering is like, oh, there's so much more openness because we're away from the Golden State-centered area. Right. Uh, I, I don't think that the list is too far. I think that's a pretty sizable and understandable list of people voting. I, I think, like, there's always going to be the analysts that are like, oh, yeah, Damian Lillard is my MVP. Or, or like, man, Kawhi has really sold this season and, like, this is great. I think that's pretty much, like, the list. Those are the guys of the league. Right. So, obviously, we've talked about our top three. LeBron, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic. Who do you think are going to get those fourth and fifth place votes? Oh, goodness. So, I mean, I feel like Steph Curry. Right. Like, Steph Curry, I mean, his season, you know, regardless of the Warriors' troubles and, like, up and down of the season— Steph Curry has been, again, so consistently good. It, it always kind of shocks you, I guess, when he, when he comes in. It's like, man, there's no way that he'll play like that again. And then he just does. And he just does, and it, it's so effortless on the court. And really, his offensive game has been the thing getting the, the Warriors through this season. Right. Like, his offense is so obviously the, like a floor and ceiling raiser simultaneously. <laughs> he, he does it all, and... You know, he's had some kind of weird fits to work around, and there's been a lot of changes, and, you know, missing Clay Thompson and stuff. It, it's, it's pretty obvious that the Warriors aren't going to have, like, a super easy time, but Steph Curry still, in those games where he's taking over, he just makes the game look easy. Yeah, and I think with Stephen Curry, the issue he's probably going to be facing is he's already had two of the best MVP seasons <laughs> right. in recent memory, especially that 2016 season, which some will argue is one of the best seasons ever produced by a player. Right. But the numbers he's putting up are pretty close. He's averaging around 29.5 points per game, five rebounds, and six assists. He's a little less efficient because he was just so efficient back in 2016. He was almost shooting 50% from the field right. as a point guard, which is unheard of. And then, of course, he's shooting in the 40s from three, and... He's in the 40-40-90 club right now. If he just bumps up that field goal percentage a little bit, he can maybe get another 50-40-90 season. There's lots of guys in that conversation this year just because the empty arenas and all that. That's that's another interesting storyline. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George kind of in that conversation. Do you think this season is just going to be like an anomaly in terms of all these records? Or 
You know, I don't know if I'd say it'll be a complete anomaly, but I'm not sure that we're going to see these types of shooting splits for, like, a, a <laughs> right. long time after, you know, whenever we get our fans back in the, in the seats, you know, take as long as they need. But there's, there's no way that this isn't having a considerable effect on the way players are able to shoot. I mean, if you just look at the league averages this year compared to the last couple of years, it's, it's ridiculous. And honestly, just the scoring volume of so many players. When we were talking about All-Stars just the other week and about how so many players have legitimate arguments to be All-Stars because everybody's numbers have gone up. Everyone's the amount of 20-point-per-game scorers in the league right now is crazy. It's like, ridiculous. Guys like Chris Middleton and Tobias Harris missing the All-Star game, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, like some right. very good players. Absolutely. We just have a stacked East and a stacked West right now. Right. Yeah, no, and like, oh, you know, don't get me started on Miami, but <laughs> I think about, like, Jimmy Butler coming back from injury. I mean, the guy's averaging, like, 21 points, almost nine assists and nine rebounds since that time coming back, and, like, that's phenomenal that's right. phenomenal play coming back from an injury and and honestly i didn't think jimmy butler was going to get an all-star nod because there's too much competition for it in the east for some reason as well like everybody's getting there <laughs> no we we will definitely talk about the eastern conference in just a second but just to wrap up the mvp conversation if the vote were held today i think i have to put joel Embiid at number one on the ballot, just because of what he's done with Philly, how well that fit has worked. His mid-range jumper this season has been remarkable. Right. I didn't even know he could shoot this efficiently. He has a true shooting percentage flirting with that 70% number, which mm. I just never expected Joel Embiid would be this efficient in that he's leading a team with a great offense, a great defense. Ben Simmons has also stepped up his game on that side of the court, but I think Philly is the perfect combination of they're going to be in that one-two seed conversation. And I think they are a legit contender, and Joel Embiid has surprised people. So I think he has a little bit of each of these storylines, plus the winning. I, I'm I'm in a similar agreement with you. And as, as long as Joel Embiid keeps the shooting splits up, like it's pretty, it's pretty hard to talk against them unless like I bring Nikola Jokic into the picture because Nikola Jokic, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a, a super fan. Like, I love Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic has been performing masterfully like the last three seasons now and has been an MVP candidate. And this has been his best season right? And far and away. He's just phenomenal. And he's just <laughs> phenomenal. And, you know, the Nuggets have had a lot of troubles this season, especially I think we've talked about like lineup issues and having guys like Will Barton in and stuff and just these, these little changes. And he's still performing like without trouble, without fault. Right, and I think with Nikola Jokic, that is going to be the thing that is going to be held against him in this because when you look at just the base numbers, there's a case for Jokic over Embiid. I right. think it's pretty close in terms of Jokic is almost in that triple-double conversation with 27 points, 11 rebounds, 8.5 assists, and then his efficiency is ridiculous, yep. shooting 57% from the field, 40% mm -hmm. from three, and 88% from the free throw line, again, flirting with that 50-40-90. And Joel Embiid has similar numbers, 28 point, a few more points, about the same amount of rebounds, less assists. They have almost the same PER, right. exactly, which is oh. in the 30s. Right. Ridiculous seasons from both of them. But I think Nikola Jokic is going to be penalized a little bit because you see some of these pieces. Obviously, Will Barton's been hurt a lot. MPJ and Jamichael Green haven't been as good as Jeremy Grant was for them last season at the power forward. 
their backup center spot. I've seen they've had to start Faku Campazo a lot at point yeah. guard, which he, he's an electric passer if you see some of those plays he does, but it's just not as consistent as that team in that bench was last season. No, and, and when we're talking about the MVP conversation, what's been consistent is unless you have one of those phenomenal seasons of interesting statistics like Russell Westbrook, there's almost no way being at a like a lower seed that you can win that MVP trophy. In usually like Russell Westbrook breaking that record, I think was really what did it because a similar MVP season comes to mind back in 2006 where Kobe Bryant was averaging above 30 points per game, led the Lakers to I believe either the seventh or the eighth seed. Mm-hmm. But Steve Nash won the MVP, averaging around 15 points, 13 assists leading the surprise seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns to a one or two seed home court advantage situation. So if you don't have at least home court, and I'd argue at least the three or the two seed, it's hard to justify the MVP unless you're breaking serious records like Russell Westbrook did. And I'd still argue that probably wasn't good enough. It's, it's just tough when you don't have those wins. Right. No. And those wins, like they're getting hard to come by. And I think that we're probably about to start talking about this conference situation when you're when you're playing in the East, when you're playing with the Sixers and then you're playing with the Nuggets. You know, those are two entirely different scenarios now. And like you were saying before, there's a there's a lot of penalization to to the Nuggets for playing through a lot of difficulty and injury and understanding and, you know, the Sixers have been kind of lucky to stay healthy. And, like, since since the, at least the last few weeks, right. last month or so, they've been managed to stay on top. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to root for Jokic. I'm going to keep my head up. <laughs> but I understand that Joel Embiid looks like the favorite for me. Yeah, and we haven't talked about LeBron. I want to talk about him for a sec because I watched that Phoenix game last night, which he was terrific in. He had over 30 points. He was shooting around 66% from the field. But... This team, with the injuries they're having with Marc Gasol, with Kyle Kuzma, obviously with Anthony Davis, I think it's going to be tough for LeBron and that Lakers team to secure either a two or three seed because we've seen the Suns are legit, the Clippers are legit, and obviously the Utah Jazz have been playing mind-boggling good basketball lately. Yeah. So I, I think LeBron is also in that boat of he's clearly in that top three, and on some days it's looked like he's been number one, but without some of those wins and just the fact that this isn't going to be like one of LeBron's peak seasons. We look back on, I don't think his season this year has been as good as his season last year when he was leading the league in assists. So I think like for all of those reasons, LeBron is going to be top three, but I just don't see him getting in above Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid just based off of how good of the seasons they've had have been. Oh yeah. And you know, a lot of the troubles with the Lakers like staying forward and getting healthy and everything is their offense. Like their offense really starts to suffer. And you know, when I'm seeing LeBron James have games where he's not scoring 20 points a game when his team needs him, it's like, you know, Oh man, how am I supposed to vote for this guy's MVP when I have Nicole Jokic going off every single night, <laughs> right? And Joel and B doing the same thing. And so even though, I mean, LeBron James not scoring 20 points a game like that's an MVP that's an argument against his MVP but that just really goes to show how amazing LeBron James is like if he's not doing that every night it gets it gets like oh well well he's not at his peak anymore and with LeBron James we've just been so spoiled with him over the years of seeing all of these great seasons that when he has a season that like this one that's not as good as a lot of his other seasons like he's averaging around 25.8 8 and 8 
That's probably like the ninth or tenth best LeBron James season we've seen. <laughs> right. If you want to look at the end of that first tenure in Cleveland, his Miami years, like that 2018 season in Cleveland, all of those years when he went back, his first season with the Lakers last year, he's he's had so many great seasons that this one just doesn't stand out as much where Nikola Jokic emerging into a superstar, averaging 27, 11, and 8, crazy the like, story is better right the no story it, is better. the story really does impact this race so i just think he's going to be losing that battle if they if the lakers were to go like eight and oh after losing anthony davis and lebron james like in the post game was like i'm winning the mvp this year baby i want to tie michael jordan i want my fifth mvp i think it would be different this is, this is for laker nation you know if he, if he gets the if he gets the the crowd relay going, you know, you saw those all star voting numbers. Oh my goodness, the the those those votes are ridiculous. But I won't focus on that. <laughs> no, definitely the the all star weekend. By the way, is going to happen this weekend. Are you excited for some of those activities they're doing, or what are your thoughts on that? Not not even a little bit. Right. I'm going to be honest. It's and it's such a shame, but I don't even think that All-Star Weekend should be here. No, I'm, I'm with you there. I think that this should be a break for the players. I think that they need to walk away from basketball because when we're dealing with so many injuries throughout the season, why are we, why are we, taking, this, why are we taking this time? We're right. already rushed early. Nobody wants to really be here. So many people have declined invitations to several of the different like little projects, you know, three-point shooting or you know, dunk contest. No one really wants to do it all that much. No one wants to feel locked into it except for, you know, younger guys who are looking for opportunities, I guess. No, I definitely agree. And I think with like with all of these events, especially just given the fact that we've had so many teams that have had four games and five nights, two back to backs of the course of five days. Why? Like give the players the rest. I mean, this has been a compressed season over a smaller period of time. It's fewer games, but it's more compressed. They have less rest time. Like, you don't see teams getting three or four days off unless everyone gets COVID. Like, that's just been how the season has worked for so many teams. And I think you saw that with a lot of interviews. I think it was Damian Lillard who said recently, like, we felt kind of betrayed just because we thought we were going to have some time off, see our families and stuff, and now we're going to the All-Star game. And I think the game could be competitive and stuff, but... It, wh- why are you doing this for these other events that people don't really care about? Because, I mean, no one's really excited for the Taco Bell Skills Challenge. <laughs> Is anyone really going to watch the Taco Bell Skills Challenge? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to watch it. I'm not that Do you remember who won the Skills Challenge from last season? No, but I think Bam won it the season before. Well, did Bam? I honestly don't know right. who won it last season. Right. Uh, you know, it, I'm sure it was a great event. And, like, also, it's not that the, the event means nothing. You know, it, it does – they are significant even though, you know, All-Star Weekend, obviously, as the last couple of years have gone by, we've gone up and down on whether or not that's all that enjoyable of an event or, like, if players even really want to be there half right. the time. But especially now, considering everything that's been happening, considering that players, you know, have wanted time away from COVID, and I think fans should be able to understand that and – on it, like even on a slightly different note, but like a lot of these teams were trying to not play parts of last season strictly because of you know racial justice of trying to get right. people to recognize that these are human beings. They need time away. They need to protest in whatever way is necessary for them. And exactly. Here they are. Here they are being forced to play in things they don't really want to participate in. It's just awkward. It's strange, and it's a bad look for the league. Right. And 
I think the NBA has tried to massage that a little bit by saying, like, hi, oh, we're donating to historically black colleges and universities with this event. But we see the NBA is ultimately deciding we don't care about right. the risk of COVID with this because you're getting guys from all over the league, all of the different teams, variety of different exposures. You're putting them in Atlanta for the weekend. Right. And it, it, it's for the <laughs> cash. I mean, that's that's really what it's for if you want to break it down that way. I mean, it's for the NBA to make a little bit of money and for them to get the publicity. Right. And it's and this is why I sometimes have trouble with like people talking about the NBA as like this champion of a league compared to other American right. sports leagues because you know what? They they acknowledge more things than other sports leagues, I think. But at the end of the day, they're, you know, they're interested in getting what they can from these players. No, oh, no, I definitely agree where I think the NBA they get off the hook because again, compared to some leagues like the MLB or the NFL, they point things out more and they are more honest on issues, especially of things like racial justice, but they're still a corporation right. and they're still trying to make as much profit off of these players as they can. And we see that playing out with the all-star weekend and there's no intention changing here. This is, this is the goal. It will remain as the goal. And I think that's what the players are really starting to hear in the situation after all of the things that people have been through within the last 12 months, that that is not changing this is not the primary concern, and I think that's leaving some players a little bit uh, dispassionate. No, definitely. Totally agree on that. So, folks, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to talk about our biggest surprises and biggest disappointments so far of the season. You're listening to KCU Sports 88.1 FM. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to No Filler with Joe Miller, joined again by Jaron Hicks. Hi. So, this season, there's been lots of surprises, lots of disappointments. Do you want to start on the good note or the bad note, Jared? Let's keep the energy up. We can start with some good things. You can start on a high. Okay. Okay. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Well, I'll introduce a topic. How about that? Okay. Okay. The Phoenix Suns. Here Definitely. they are playing good basketball with good basketball players. And it makes sense, kind of. And it's okay. And we can feel like, you know, maybe this is a step in the right direction for the Suns franchise. <laughs> no, it's... It, it's been crazy watching the Suns this year. I think we're probably going to talk about them in a second when we talk about just who the real contenders are in this conference. But the Suns are one of the four best teams in the Western Conference after missing the playoffs for 10 straight seasons. Right. Like, I, I, we were talking about this. Uh, I don't remember who was on, but we were talking about the uh, Nets game where James Harden kind of won that game at the end. It was kind of fluky. They blew, like, a 20-point lead. But we were just talking the Suns' expectations is to beat the Brooklyn Nets in the regular season this year. Where last year, their expectation was, let's win 20 games. <laughs> right, right. It's like, can Devin Booker maybe score 60 points this season? Like, right. Can we see something interesting, I guess? And it's so hard when we have players like Devin Booker in the league because we want them to do well. But, it, like, there's a dichotomy that forms because it's like, well, at the same time, like, do I, how much do I trust, like, the team compared to how much do I trust this player? You know, like, is anything actually going to happen throughout their career? And, I and like, because sometimes you watch players go through and it's like, oh, I really want a Boogie Cousins to, you know, to become something. Or what like, we're watching with, like, Carl Anthony Towns right now in Minnesota, right. where it's just like, I like Cat as a theoretical, like, hub big man who can run an offense, right. but... Minnesota's won eight games this year. Yeah. And we, we, you feel like you're wasting that person. And with Devin Booker, 
it's awesome to finally see him in a situation where they're using his talents to win games. Yes, and, and it's just this spark of hope because NBA fans have known for years how impressive Devin Booker is. Like, he is a great player. He is a player that can be a top guy on a top winning team if he is surrounded with good coaching and good players and honestly a good environment in general, which right. Chris Paul brings in. And the development of DeAndre Ayton, like, like that's that's a whole different world. Like there's now actually pieces for him to work around and to fit himself into. No, this is one thing I talk about when, whenever the Suns come up. They have seven awesome players on this team with Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnston, Jay Crowder, there he is. Dario Saric went off the other night. Right. It was you have seven guys who are averaging double digits and like Chris Paul, we saw yesterday against the Lakers only scored eight points, but he had 10 assists. And it's because they have all of these great three point shooters. This team run by Monty Williams and James Jones has done an excellent job assembling just a quality team from top to bottom. And I, I don't know if I'm going to say they're a contender, but I could see this team making a Western Conference Finals. Right. If they pushed really, really, really hard and they, you know, they we had some great moments from Devin Booker and Chris Paul, and, you know, Drake Crowder hit enough threes off a, you know, trailing play with the defender not there. You know, who knows where that goes? E either way, it's just so it's so great that, you know, Devin Booker has an actual playmaker. And like you said, Chris Paul only scored eight points last night. And he only, you know, he didn't need to score that many points because Chris Paul now, you know, coming into his later years in the season, he doesn't need to be this giant score and his team isn't expecting him to be. Exactly, because they have all of these great pieces around him. And we don't, we talk a lot about LeBron James in year 18 doing what he's doing, but Chris Paul at the age he's at, I think he's 36, as a six foot tall point guard being an all-star this season ridiculous right and there's a lot of competition here in the western conference guards <laughs> yeah like this is this like those are like probably like if you if you had to pick a selection of people to be like the best basketball players on earth you know the western conference guards like you know that's that's about there that's steph about curry there. luka Doncic, damian lillard chris paul <laughs> like, devin booker Guys like Ja Morant weren't even labeled as all-star snubs right. just because there's so many good guards in that conference. Right. It's 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 really awesome. It's really awesome the way the league, you know, as these guys get older. It's so good to see when they when they still have places and people recognize, you know what? This can be a part of a good contending team. This can be the start of something or this can be the end of something simultaneously. And I I like that the Suns decided, you know what? I know we have a young team, but Let's trade away Kelly Oubre, everyone's favorite Valley boy. Uh -huh. Let's trade away a pick and let's go for it. Let's get Chris Paul. Let's see what we can do with this team. And it's working out pretty well. Even if Chris Paul only stays with this team for this year and then next season, I think I think the Suns are enjoying this investment right now. Right. And and then I guess like my little final note on that is like the the Warriors are the eighth seed right now. <laughs> with the Kelly Oubre. Yeah, and the eighth seed. Denver with Nikola Jokic is the seventh seed right now. And Chris Paul and Devin Booker are flying high on the top half of the Western Conference. And they're the number two seed right now. Yeah. Like this is this is something that we should all even even if, you know, next season things change, this is something I think we can all be happy about together. No, absolutely. So 
The surprise I was going to go with was the Utah Jazz, but we've already talked about them ad nauseum this season, just about how well they've been shooting the ball, how well they've been on defense, how they've really utilized Rudy Gobert well on this team. But I want want to break away from that just because we've talked about them a little much. I want to talk about the Portland Trailblazers because coming into the season, I thought they would be a fourth, fifth seed conversation team. But I was assuming Yusuf Nurkic and CJ McCollum would be healthy. Portland is currently sixth. CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic have only played 13 games each. They've been 11 and 7 since losing both of them. Damian Lillard has been carrying this team to, again, like you're saying, above Nikola Jokic's team with Denver, above Steph Curry's team with the Warriors. I've just been really impressed with this Blazers team. Their starting lineup right now that they've been rocking the past 10, 11 games has been Damian Lillard, Gary Trent, your guy, Derek Jones Jr., Ooh. Robert Covington, and Ennis Cantor. That's been right. their starting five. Right. And they've been winning games. Yep. Yep. And and it's so this is like this is the thing I, I read someone posted about uh the Portland Trailblazers like a year or two ago. And they're like, every time I try and seed the Trailblazers before, <laughs> like I seed them too low. Every time, because they always manage to, even like through adversity, Damian Lillard makes things happen. Right. And, you know, he has these great moments and stuff, and they're great. But, you know, if you ever just watch a game and you watch Damian Lillard play and you just know he is almost always, like, the most lethal player on the court, it's terrifying. It's terrifying to watch people try and defend him. And one stat I wanted to point out is they're 19th in net rating, meaning they're scoring less than opposing teams have been putting up right. throughout the course of the season. So they've just been punching above their weight where they're losing by these big losses, but they've been squeaking out these close games. We saw like that one in Chicago a few weeks ago where Damian Lillard hit that crazy buzzer beater. Uh So I've just been impressed with Portland's ability to really close out a lot of these close games, especially when we critique some of those other teams in the West, like a team like Dallas where they've lost some close games, you know, they're getting above 500 right now, but Portland has just been consistent this whole season and this is without CJ, without Yusuf Nurkic. I think Portland could give a team a run for their money in the first round if they have both of those guys healthy. Right. And, you know, and this is also like, I guess, the, the other side of the coin. It's still sad because I know, okay, maybe they'll make it to the second round. Right. Like, this is, this is the trailblazer curse. Like, you have all these great moments and these amazing acknowledgments from around the league. And you get to this point where some people really didn't think you were going to make it. And then it ends. And, then it and ends. Y- you don't make the finals and win no. it ever, right? That, that, that is the thing with a lot of these teams where I think they might be achieving. They're in the playoff conversation, but Portland is not going to win a championship with Damian Lillard. Right. Unless something cataclysmic happens yeah. trade-wise. Right, like Giannis over there. So <laughs> I don't know how you're going to make those caps A work. CJ and Nurkic for Giannis swap. <laughs> right, I'm sure that would work. I'm sure that's a perfectly functionable trade that both teams would happily be interested in. So now that we've now that we've gotten the we've gotten the good vibes out of the way, we got to get into our disappointments a little bit. I'll start this one off because I think your disappointment's probably going to echo this a little bit. The Eastern Conference this season right. has disappointed me so much. I was always an advocate for conference rebalancing and having just take the top 16 best teams and do the playoffs that way. Right. Don't have like East West separate them. Just take the top 16 teams. You'll probably get a better finals matchup. It'll all be dandy. But this season just 
looking at the standings has really brought to my attention the urgency of this because we only have four teams above 500 in the Eastern Conference right now. We have 10 in the Western Conference. Yep. We have 10 teams above 500 in the Western Conference. Uh-huh. That's just ridiculous. No, I know. And I'd love to say that, like, oh, you know, the East has had its own, like, individual problems. And, like, yeah, I think injuries have been a little bit worse in the East. Not this bad. <laughs> There's no excuse. There's no excuse. Right now, the New York Knicks are a sixth seed. They are a sixth seed, everybody, at 18 and 18. This is the league we live in. This is right. the Eastern Conference that's real to us right now. And there's an issue with that. Led by Julius Randle, who's piloting the 26th most efficient offense right. like, <laughs> in yes. the NBA. Right. Like, good defense? Absolutely. Love it. Six seed? 18 and 18? Julius I think they're actually Randle? The, I think you're underselling it. I think they're the fifth seed, actually. No way. No Oh, yeah, it's Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Boston, and then New York. I think they're tied with Toronto for they the fifth are, seed at the moment. They are 17 and 17 Toronto, so, they I mean, they're right there. It, it, it's just, it's frustrating because we always talk about these narratives about, like, uh, you know, Dallas has been disappointing this season, or Memphis hasn't lived up to hype. But if they were in the Eastern Conference, they would be having home court advantage right yep. now, which is just kind of... Just, it's absurd to think about that Memphis is 16 and 15. We would be the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. Right. There are, I mean, there's so many teams. There's just so many teams that have so many significant issues. And, like, you can just tell there's years of work ahead. There's not going right. to be any big turnaround for these guys. And, I mean, I'm thinking about teams like Washington right now with Bradley Beal mm -hmm. and Russell Westbrook. And whatever your feelings are on Russell Westbrook, like, he's a fantastic player. And they are 13 and 20. They're 13 and 20 right now in the Eastern Conference. I, I thought I had Washington low coming into the season because I had them ninth. I was thinking, you know what? Or, they're, they're good. You know, Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook, that's good enough for some wins. But some of these teams just have better starting lineups and better depth. But they haven't even really lived up to that expectation of just like, losing these games because their third best players, Isaac Bonga or Mo Wagner or Garrison Matthews off of a two-way contract has had a bit of a resurgence with that team. But it's just been disappointing to watch the Eastern Conference because in the West, I'm excited for a lot of these first-round matchups we're going to see in the playoffs with a Denver team led by Nikola Jokic going up against one of those top teams. We're going to see hopefully a healthy Portland Trailblazers team, but those top three seeds with Brooklyn, with Philly and Milwaukee, I think they're just going to sweep or five game series, all of those first round matchups. Right. And here's the thing, even if they don't, and you know, I was talking to you just the other day about this, Joe, even when they're not sweeps, even when like you see someone win a game or something, there's not always that much competition involved. Like, right. They're like they call it the gentleman sweep for a reason. There's there's not much going on. And, you know, I will I will stand corrected if if you know the the New York Knicks make it to the second round in a five game series. But like, if Orlando were to win, like when Orlando won one game against the Milwaukee Bucks last <laughs> season, that wasn't really a win. No, no, <laughs> for it the was magic. it was man. Nikola Vucevic is maybe the best pick and popper player in the league. <laughs> that was great, and. Yeah, I, I just, 
the conference itself, especially the teams I'm looking at right now, Indiana and Atlanta, really disappointing. They started off hot, too. Atlanta, I believe, started 4-0 in the season, and Indiana was in that home court third-fourth conversation for a while, but they've just really slipped since they lost Victor Oladipo and because they haven't gotten Karis LeVert out on the court yet, but we'll see if the East can turn it around, but... I'm leaning much more on the side of we need to rebalance the conferences or do something. Something's got to happen here. Is it? It's not looking good. Right. So did you want to talk about maybe like some specific East teams? Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to go down that route. (laughs) Right. We can start with Boston. We can start with Boston here because Boston with these two star one, maybe MVP level wings. And, you know, this really well-balancing, we've got Kimba Walker, and yes, I'm aware of the injuries. Uh, the, the pickup of Tristan Thompson, and yes, I recognize it's just Tristan Thompson. <laughs> this team is not a bad team. This, this team shouldn't be a bad team. This team has tons of offensive firepower. This team has a fantastic coach. This team has a really good defensive scheme. And here they are, you know, struggling to keep, like, their head in the top four of the Eastern Conference right now. Right. What is going on? No, and the thing that I I look at, because we're we're, going to talk about contenders in a sec. Boston's not on that list. Spoiler alert. But when you look at where Boston was at two seasons ago, they had that Sacramento pick coming up. They had that Memphis pick, and people were like, wow, these picks are going to be really good. They're going to be great assets. The Memphis pick was the 14th pick in the last draft. They got Aaron Naismith. That has not helped them that much. (laughs) Some would argue the Grizzlies who bought the Celtics 30th pick, which was Desmond Bain, might have actually gotten a better (laughs) pick there than Aaron Naismith. So I think when you look at Boston, with like you're saying, with an MVP-like wing in Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who's having the best year of his career, and then you have a third star in Kemba Walker, who is an incredible offensive talent, this team should be looking to make championship-type moves. Right. But they're not in that conversation this season whatsoever. They, they should have sleptwalked to this fourth seed they're in right now. And I don't feel like they're sleepwalking. I feel like they are desperately clinging. And, you know, I don't think that it's this is, like, going to be stuck. I just think that they have some serious issues to figure out for the rest of the season. And you know what? If that includes letting this season be what this season is and moving on and making some serious adjustments in the offseason. Right. Okay. So let it be. That's what it has to happen. That's what has to happen. And I, I think w- with Boston, I think they will probably do that at the end of this year. They'll be like, you know, it was the COVID season. It was shortened. It was, it was an aberrant year, you know, next season will be better. We'll make the moves the next season. But I think Boston's been in that state for a while oh, where so they've been able to make moves, but they just never really pulled the trigger. And I don't know if they really have that many moves left to make at this point. No, it feels like the only trigger is on, you know, the basketball growth hormone that we're giving Jason Tatum to make sure he keeps getting better every year. It's like, okay, we're going to need him to win us a championship and then like in like three or four years. So let's hope this is going well. Yeah. And just I remember thinking like three three years ago they could have traded for Jimmy Butler yep if they wanted to yep they could have tried to trade for Anthony Davis maybe they wouldn't have had as good of a package but you have Anthony Davis right and I, I just see they had a lot of possibilities and a lot of options they could have tried to trade for so many stars over the past three or four years 
they don't have that Memphis pick anymore. And yeah. no, no one wants Aaron Naismith at this point. People no. wanted that, ooh, Memphis is going to be bad this year. This could be a top five pick. Ooh, what is this pick going to turn into? People don't want Aaron Naismith. I'm sorry. No. Aaron, Aaron Naismith is not going to return you Jimmy Butler <laughs> at this point. Would you want to trade Jimmy Butler away from the Heat for Aaron Naismith? You know, I, I don't I don't know if I'm really qualified to make such a decision, but personally, no. And on that note, do you want to talk about the Heat? Sure, yeah, because the Miami Heat, I've talked a little bit about this on the show. Health and safety protocols and injuries have killed the like the first quarter of this season for the team. Yeah. And because the East is so weak, they're almost back up to 500 if they're not already. We're right below it. We are we are seriously 17 and 18 right now, and it has been so depressing to watch this season go by. And even when we can get some players in, it felt like there's just too many gone, and right. it was just a constant rotation of who we have in and who we have out. And I know people, when I talk about a player like Goran Dragic, they're like, well, I mean, it's Goran Dragic. This is like uh, getting into his mid-30s, you know, Eastern European basketball player. Why does this seem so important? I'd like you to remember that he was our leading scorer for a lot of, like, <laughs> last season in, in the playoffs. Like, Goran Dragic is part of what makes us happen, and he was not here. And Jimmy right. Butler was not here. And we have all our guys who are supposed to be doing our little defensive operations, like Avery Bradley and stuff. They're gone. And they keep leaving, and they keep coming back, and there's no rhythm. And now we just lost Jimmy Butler again after we won six games in a row. He's out. And we lost last game against Atlanta, and just we played terrible. The offense last night, just abysmal, awful game. I wanna, I wanna ask you this. So, do you think maybe not having all stars in the All Star game might be a little bit of a blessing in disguise for this team, just to maybe take the All Star break, get healthy? Then they're at the seventh seed right now. They're healthy going into the second half. Do you think? the second half could be better by not having all-stars at the game? Absolutely. I think that I think that even in all of this awful, awful state, I, I think that there's still a chance for us to make it out, and I think that we could, considering the weakness of the Eastern Conference, there's a big push. We just made, you know, a six-game winning streak, and it really didn't look too tough, and we only lost it because Jimmy Butler left again. Right. Like, this Atlanta team is not all that great, though. John Collins somehow plays really well against us. But <laughs> we kept Trey Young pretty much down on the ground. He didn't even score in the first quarter of either of the back-to-back games we played against Atlanta. Like, we're, we are capable of playing higher than this. And I think that we will play higher than this. We just need our guys back. Um. Okay, this is one last thing I want to talk about with the Heat. So, Victor Oladipo has been in some trade rumors lately just because he obviously didn't pick up the extension that Houston offered him. And he's been rumored to be interested in the heat for a while. Right. Would you like to see a move like that happen if they were to give up maybe a precious Achua or one of their rookies that aren't as developed as guys like Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson? If it costs a precious Achua, would you be willing to maybe take a chance on Victor Oladipo at this point? See, I'm a big Achua guy. I think that Achua... Has a lot. I mean, even though he lacks a little bit of verticality, I think that he adds a bunch on the defensive floor, and he just needs time out there. But Victor Oladipo, at the same time, I think that Victor Oladipo's like shooting is really one thing that we need right now, and that's part of what made our team so good and got us to that finals was our ability to keep moving around these shooters, and that's right. the one thing that Oladipo, even with injury, has been able to do is take up a spot up shooting role and move the ball to the shooter. 
So I, I would be okay with that. I would be okay with that. And like you said, this has been something people have been talking about. You know, there's this rumors existed. Since he broke out in Indiana. Right, right. yeah. Like Victor Oladipo and the Heat have had communications. And this kind of reminds me of what happened with Jimmy Butler, honestly, because before Jimmy Butler got here, we talked about it for a while, about right. him wanting to come here. So, yeah, I'd do it. I hope he comes. <laughs> no, I... I think that would be an interesting fit for sure, especially with the defense of the Heat and just having him be in an offense where he doesn't have to be the number one creator. He can be one of three or four guys who can create for this team with Bam, with Jimmy, with Goran, with him, then a guy like Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn. <laughs> right, and who's been playing really well, by the way. Great surprise. Love you, Kendrick Nunn. Kendrick Nunn. <laughs> Very controversial player in our, uh, my conversations with Aaron. We can't start on that on the show, though. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess before we head out of here, I do want to talk a little bit about the contenders of this, of this NBA championship. So there's only one Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of the year. Just one. Just one. And there's 30 teams in the NBA. How many contenders do you see right now? Or what teams do you see? Now, I know that you are normally, you're bigger on the idea of several contenders. But personally, I do not see as many contenders in this league, I think, as you. I see in the East, I will accept Philly as a possible contender. I will accept Brooklyn as a possible contender. That's where I see you over there. Okay. I don't think that anybody else, you know, unless Giannis has the most powerful postseason We've seen from him yet, which, by the way, even his really powerful postseasons before haven't really gotten that far. Right. Unless that happens, I don't see the Bucks making it, and I don't think I don't think Boston. What about out west? So you have two in the east with Philly and Brooklyn. What about in the Western Conference? Lakers obviously are here. Right. Um, I don't know if I'm sold on the Jazz. I'll okay. give them, I'll give them the nod because of how consistently they played. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they are possible, but I don't I don't know if there's I don't know if the Clippers have it. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if the Clippers have it. And when you get past the Clippers, who else? I, I don't really right. I don't really see that many teams that are going to be able to take off guys like the Lakers or guys like the Brooklyn right. Nets in seven-game series. Right. I, I definitely see what you're saying. Like, for me, I'm honestly not that far away from you. I have Philly, Brooklyn, Utah, and the Lakers. And then I would still add Milwaukee and the Clippers in there right. for, I, I'd say, six at the moment. Phoenix was kind of a tough out because, like you're saying, in a seven-game series, they're going to have to beat two of those top three West teams. I could see them doing that against the Jazz or maybe the Clippers or the Lakers if they get lucky, but I don't think they could do a seven-game series win against one of those teams, do that again, right? and then beat Philly or Brooklyn. Yeah. I don't. I don't really see the Suns as a team that can win the finals this year. And and their coaching, you know, with Monty Williams and stuff, it's been improved. But I don't. I don't even know if they have like the the, the plays, the sets ready. They haven't had this team formed long enough to really go deep and figure out everything they want to do. I think I, I could see like the Suns being a Western Conference Finals team. Right. I could see that happen. It's possible. But I, I'm not ready to say. Finals bound. Finals bound, and then win the finals. Because to me, the Lakers, obviously we saw that last season. The big question mark there is, is AD going to be healthy? Yeah. That's the only thing. Clippers and Milwaukee, the, the reason I would put them in there is, just despite the hate I'm getting from that side of the studio right now, <laughs> <laughs> the Clippers and the Bucks, people had as a finals matchup last season. Right. And I think in some ways... 
Clippers, I don't think, have solved all of their problems, but Serge Ibaka is an improvement. I think maybe they could try to get a point guard at the... It's probably going to end up being someone like George Hill, though, so it's not going to be that much of a plus, but... The Clippers are still a tough out with their defense and with their offense. And Milwaukee, I could still see them beating Philly or Brooklyn in a series. I think it's possible. And I definitely think that both of those teams are are capable of getting somewhere like that. I just don't see it as likely. You know, like, I just, it's it's harder for me to imagine it. Okay, but, like, if Brooklyn doesn't add, like, a rim protector, like, they don't get Andre Drummond, right, right. <laughs> let's say, or they don't, oh get, they don't get whoever they end up trying to get at the center spot, could you see Giannis just totally destroying this team offensively? For seven games straight? Okay, that's fair. Right, because here's the thing, that Brooklyn team, they only need two guys to get hot. And they've got three MVP-level players, along with one of the best three-point shooters in the league, ready every night to just, they just need to get hot. That's it. They could lose three games straight, and you'd still have to win another one. No, I I, I can see that. To me, if I were to pick the team to come out of the East today, though, I'm going to say Philly, because I watched some games they've played, especially against the Mavericks. What impressed me, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, kills pick and rolls. Yeah. You can't run a pick and roll when Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are out there. You just can't because Ben Simmons is playing like the defensive player of the year right now. Joel Embiid is still an all NBA defensive type guy. I I think they could find a way to exploit the Nets in a lot of those sets in a way where Milwaukee, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis are obviously incredible defenders, but I don't see a way in which they can really shut down the Nets game plan in a way that Philly has that capability to. I I think Philly's defense definitely has the best chance, especially with Milwaukee giving up so many threes so consistently, and now everyone hitting them this year. For some reason, I've noticed like their defense has gone down a little bit. Um, But I, I don't know. Like You're talking about this pick and roll game, and I agree, but we have three of the best isolation scores. Brooklyn could just run ISO, yeah. Right, like if things they they just have so many switchups, and you know maybe their defenses will catch up with them once we get that far in the playoffs. And we've seen it get better throughout right. the course of the season too, which is scary. Oh my goodness! And and they realized, okay, stop running these you know strict man on man sets. Let's let them come to us consistently right. and just make sure we're not giving up easy shots at the perimeter. Let them take their mid ranges, and Brooklyn's defense has really improved by doing that. Yeah, and before we head out, just quickly with the West, my brain is telling me the Utah Jazz make it to the finals. Really? But my heart is telling me do not bet against LeBron James. Yeah, that's hard. That's because I I think LeBron with AD can probably get that series done, right? Yep. But when you just see the percentages the Utah Jazz are shooting right now, my only concern is, is Jordan Clarkson going to do this in the playoffs? Because... If a few of these guys drop off in the postseason, I could see the Jazz tanking potentially. That's the thing. But in, with LeBron James, we've seen him do this so many times against these top teams. Right. I think I'm going to pick the Lakers. I'll pick the Lakers coming out. I'm going to pick the Lakers with you, actually. What, okay. I, what I want to pick in my heart is Lakers-Nets. That's what I want to pick. I also think that Lakers-Philly is a possibility, especially with how weak the East is right. this season. But that's I want I want Lakers Nets. You want LeBron KD round four that is in what the finals I want very badly. That would be interesting. Well, folks, we are running out of time at the moment. So, Jaron, thank you so much for joining me on this program. It's oh. been awesome.
folks. Thank you so much for listening to No Filler with Joe Miller. As always, you can find this show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify several hours after the program is done because I have to edit it. But have a good rest of the day, folks. And as always, stay tuned for more No Filler with Joe Miller.